Hey friends, I hope you're well. TJ's homesick, and so we're not recording our usual segment on the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline. So I figured I'd respond to uh, the latest kind of uh, uh, eruption of emotion that might be a little dramatic, but on the Friends of the Global Methodist Church page yesterday, there was uh, a lot of conversation about whether or not the Global Methodist Church is set to ordain gay clergy or not. And this is something that, of course, uh, I've, I've talked about a good deal. Uh, I'm not a, an employee of the Global Methodist Church. I am an elder in the Global Methodist Church. This is where I've chosen to serve for the time being, but my job is not to defend everything the Global Methodist Church says or does. And if you've followed me for some time, whether it be on the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline series or others, you'll see that I'm not afraid to level critiques or raise concerns. Uh, but even so, is this particular item worthy of concern? And on the front end, obviously it is uh, the the theology and practice we have around uh, sexually non-conforming persons. That's usually the term I like using because it's not just around gay stuff, it's around trans stuff as well. Uh, but people who don't fit within heteronormative boxes, uh, traditional Western notions of what human sexuality can and should look like, what's to be done with folks who identify with these uh, non-normative ways of expressing oneself and acting on one's sexual desires or felt gender identity? I know I'm using a lot of words that turn a lot of people off, but the thing is, whether or not we want to deal with this stuff Global Methodist Church is going to have to deal with it. Our, our mission field right now in North America is rife with it. Even if you're not in North America and you're a global church, this is an ideology that America is exporting throughout the world and is being seen more and more, will be seen more and more. So the Global Methodist Church does need to have a coherent theology and approach around human sexuality. That's not to say that it needs to be all one framework, and anyone outside of that particular framework is not welcome, but um, it is probably not going to be sufficient to say we don't or ordain gay people full stop. Um, that's that's probably not going to be sufficient for explaining why, how it is that we're in relationship with people who have these feelings or identify in this way. And so in particular here, what came in sight, um, I'll direct you to my screen where you'll see there was a publication in a Texas online newspaper called Cron, Why Houston is So Instrumental in a New Church Movement's Expansion. So this article article is primarily about growth in Texas, how many global Methodist churches there are, uh, how optimistic they are about growth, particularly in the Houston area. That's the clergy member that it, it talks about here, but the question around gay clergy is these two paragraphs right here. It's not going to let me select it. It says, uh, recent news reports claim the GMC will not ordain or marry LGBTQ people, which aligns with the UMC's current beliefs. Reverend Keith Boyette, chairman of the Transitional Leadership Council of the Global Methodist Church, confirmed in a recent email that the denomination will, quote, not perform gay marriage because of our definition of marriage, suggesting it exists exclusively for relationships between one man and one woman. That part didn't surprise anybody. The next part does. However, Boyette said the denomination will ordain celibate gay people if they meet standards that are applicable to all persons, end quote. 
When asked to define the so-called standards, Boyette later said they include, quote, meeting educational requirements, articulating a call to ministry, having good character references and background check, among other things. So what's to be said about this? This really upset a couple of people on the Friends of the Global Methodist Church webpage, and this isn't the first time that I've seen anyone take issue with it. A lot of you know that I talk with people on the African continent. There are a lot of people... Here's where it gets really complicated. In in Africa, there is confusion about which constituency, the Global Methodist Church or the United Methodist Church, has the liberal approach to human sexuality, because on paper, the United Methodist Church is very clear, these things are unacceptable, but then in the Global Methodist rhetoric, you hear this openness to people who identify as gay serving in a clergy role. So there are people in Africa who go around saying, hey, it's the global Methodist church that's the liberal ones. We need to stay United Methodist because we have the conservative, traditionalist, biblical opinion. So that's how this has gotten really complicated over there. It's really hard sometimes for them to explain to people who don't know these dynamics, okay, actually, yeah, here's what the United Methodist Church has on paper, but here's this open rebellion that's been going on for years and what we anticipate is going to happen at this next general conference. So it's important that the GMC speaks clearly on human sexuality, and one of the things that it said very clearly, it was reaffirmed here, is we're not going to marry gay people, we're not going to ordain practicing homosexuals. But what about this demographic of people who identify as gay but are celibate? What about them? That, that seems to be uh, a place that a lot of people are rightfully concerned could cause a lot of problems. So what's there to be said about this? One is, um, I, I would zoom out and say, around sexuality and around race, there are different frameworks for how to go about things. So around race, you have colorblind um, understandings that, that, that race does not inform a person's character or identity and is not a legitimate measure of a person. But then you have anti-racism, which says actually race is very important, and the way to solve racial inequity is redistributionism and, and getting involved in showing preference for um, ethnic minorities. So if you want to see a, a fuller conversation about that, you can look at the most recent episode that TJ and I did on the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline. That's, that's to say that right now in the Global Methodist Church, you have both of these schools of thought represented. Similarly, around human sexuality, the, there is a wide variety of understandings about what's acceptable sexually. And what's in, at stake here is the phenomenon of what I think is generally called side B Christianity. And that's the notion that you can acknowledge that homosexual acts are a problem and not do that, but in some sense to sanctify homosexual desire. So there are a number of people who've said, I'm not ever going to act on it, but part of my identity is as a gay person, and so I am a gay Christian. And it is possible to be a wholly beloved gay Christian, and which sounds really good, and a lot of people want to hop on that because that sounds very affirming. It, it still maintains a standard of righteous conduct while also affirming people in, in who that they feel that they are, and that's, that's a big concern in the West but the problem there is if we're agreed that homosexual acts are sinful, then to act as though 
that identity that informs that is not a problem is really weird. And it smacks of all kinds of um, uh, trying to upend what we've, what we've built here. Now, there's also a conversation here about the holiness of the people in the pulpit. Do we understand elders, preachers, religious leaders as sinners like the rest of us, or do we understand them as holier and in some sense beyond sin, in particular sexual sin? So there are a lot of people that I think want to imagine, hey, if you even have sexual desires that are inappropriate, you should not be in ministry. Um, the problem with that is that there, there are different stages of life that uh, are really difficult, and and we see all the time that clergy, if they're not prepared for it, do not handle sexual temptation well. So we can repress and act as though clergy do not ever deal with these struggles, or another extreme is almost bless those things and say, man, he really struggles with those gay feelings, but good on him, he only gives in like once or twice a year, you know, and that's not good. And um, there's there's what I would call, I mean, I don't think they're scared of gay people, but there's this notion of homophobia where there are some people who they're okay with a pastor maybe cheating on his wife or looking at pornography or um, different sexual sins in that way, but they just can't be gay. Like that's the one sexual sin that's, ooh, that's just worse than the others. And I don't think that's biblical. I think I think we have to understand that all sexual sin grieves God's heart and is in a, it's inappropriate for not just clergy, but for all believers. But we should expect that to be modeled by clergy, right? So can we stand to have clergy who deal with sexual struggle and temptation? I think most people would say yes. But if we get explicit about it and say, well, what if it's gay temptation? What then? And so then at that point, I think it matters how we process that information. Because if we're talking about side B Christianity, where, hey, this is a part of my explicit Christian walk, and I am a gay Christian, and that's never going to change, and that's beyond God's correction, yeah, that's a problem. If we have people entering the pulpit in the global Methodist church who see sexual desire as that fundamentally, unchangeably part of their identity, um, with no hope of... uh, change there, then yeah, that's a problem. And I know there are a lot of people who are very against creating this notion that, that human sexual desires can change. It's well precedent that they, can't, they can and do. Yes, it happens more with women than with men typically. Is that biological? Is that sociocultural? I'm not an expert. But what we do know is that people can and do change sometimes. Now, can you work that out to a science? No. Um, but what do we do in light of the fact that the Bible is very clear about these desires and actions being sinful. When Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount directly connects one's sexual desires, internal identity, with an external sin as well, yeah, he's being maybe a bit hyperbolic, but the point is we cannot allow our, our minds to be places where we entertain sin. And we cannot allow that, especially in clergy who are modeling Christian righteousness, who are pursuing publicly holiness, if we are allowing them to make homosexuality an unchangeable, immutable part of their identity and their walk with God, then that really is a problem. So first off, I should say Keith Boyette responded. He he knew that people were getting worked up about it, so he was willing to, to 
confirmed the GMC's position, and, and I think he would say readily, the Keith Boyette position and the GMC position, they might be the same on this, but just because Keith Boyette says something doesn't mean he, he is, he's not a pope. You know, we don't have a Methodist pope. So, but he can speak for the denomination because he knows what's in our, our documents and, and our doctrine. So he says, I want to state clearly the position of the Global Methodist Church on ordination and homo- human uh, sexuality. As part of its doctrine, the Global Methodist Church believes, quote, that human sexuality is a gift of God that is to be affirmed as it is exercised within the legal and spiritual covenant of a loving and monogamous marriage between one man and one woman. We require all persons, that's an end quote, excuse me, we require all persons who seek to be ordained in the GM Church to affirm, teach, and preach, and to adhere in their personal lives to this statement. Persons who fail to affirm, teach, and preach, or adhere in their personal lives to this statement are not eligible for ordination or, if ordained, are subject to disciplinary action by the Global Methodist Church. Now, that should give comfort to a number of people who wondered if the GMC was just going to be wishy-washy on this stuff. It doesn't seem to me or to others that it's going to be wishy-washy about homosexual actions. But it does seem to me and many others as though there's not a coherent theology or guardrails in place for people who entertain what I've talked about as side B Christianity, which is putting one's identity and their sexual orientation on par with their identity in Christ. That, that's a problem here. And, um, you know, for some people, this seems so like such a strange concept. They might ask, is this even really an issue? Is this really even going to affect things in the global Methodist church? And the answer flatly is yes. Um, I know several people who have attended seminary at, at different institutions that are training our clergy, and I can say with confidence that especially at Asbury, where uh, the vast bulk are coming from, it's my understanding at this point, there is a, a vocal and strong, and I don't know if they're in the majority, but they're close, side B um, uh, group of people that have this understanding of sexuality. And if the Global Methodist Church becomes a place where this understanding of sexual identity, this immutable, um, undeniable, unchangeable part of themselves uh, being blessed and permitted by God, then that that has big implications down the line. So I've been talking with Edward Armel of Omnia Methodist about this. I, I've talked with others. And the key thing that, that he and I and many others are very clear about is if there's anything sinful in your life that you are not warring against, then you are dancing with the devil. Um, and so it's not just sexual sins. This, this is what's exposing... We're, we're coming out of the United Methodist Church and our homartiology, that's our, sin or, or our theology around sin, it's affected by where we've come from. And what the United Methodist Church was about, what the vast majority of American churches is about, is not warring against sin, but managing sin. And that's, of course, the the grand depositum of the Wesleyan tradition is the doctrine of Christian perfection, which is the notion that you can be so overwhelmed, so overtaken, so filled with the love of God that all of sin is excluded. It's now no longer part of your identity at all. If you are a Wesleyan Methodist, that's what you believe in, and that does not make room for side B Christianity. That, That is exclusive of any ideology that allows for us to be at peace with an identity that's rooted in sin. That is not... uh, Right now we're having these conversations about what Methodist identity is, 
what I would submit, what many others would submit is, you don't have to be perfect to enter the pulpit. You don't even necessarily have to be close to perfection. But what you do have to do is be a daily warrior against sin. You have to daily deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Christ. If you're not doing that, if your understanding of following Christ is a journey where he permits your sin and that doesn't come between you and him, then I would say pretty confidently and flatly, you are not a Methodist. It doesn't matter if you go to a Methodist church or if you call yourself a Methodist, you just are not adhering to the Methodist doctrinal history. We have a very uncompromising understanding on sin, whether it be sexual or otherwise, just like John Wesley did, just like we would say Jesus does and the Bible does. We understand this to be uh, true Christianity. And so um, I I don't see how that fits with side B Christianity. Of course, I always think that James Lambert sums things up better than I do, and he entered into the chat yesterday. He said, um, we shouldn't get away, carried away with concern over a reporter's interpretation of what Keith Boyette said or over his answer to a question which was worded in a certain way. It is absolutely without question that the GMC teaches marriages only between a man and a woman, that homosexual relationships are always sinful, and that clergy cannot be in such relationships or they will not be ordained and or will be disciplined. There is no equivocation on this. The quote in question was about whether persons with that desire, that temptation, that proclivity, that struggle, whatever you want to call it, can be ordained and can be leaders. And the answer is yes, as long as they fully support the traditional Christian view and have vowed to remain celibate and or they choose a heterosexual marriage. This has been the GMC's position all along. There are no surprises here. It is true, of course, that we grow in grace, grow in holiness. Our desires should be conformed to the will of God. And I do believe that traditional churches should discourage same-sex attracted believers from identifying as gay. It is not appropriate to identify yourself with a disordered desire. So if that's what you're worried about, I agree. It is an area of concern that our churches need to clarify, but I don't think there's any reason for us to worry from anything said in this article. And I would agree with that. I um, I don't think it's necessarily, just like with the race stuff, I don't think the gender and sexuality stuff is necessarily at the front end of what we need to be talking about as a denomination right now. I think what we need to be talking about is what Ryan Danker just uh, got done talking about at the seminar, primarily holiness. And I notice pushback against this. I think it's the number one thing we need to talk about. What is biblical holiness? How do we determine what it is and is not? What stance do we take against sin? How tolerant are we of sin in our churches, in the pulpit? That's the foundational issue here that, of course, we're not going to have 100% conformity on ever. There's there's probably an acceptable wiggle room in that. But where are those boundaries? If we figure that out first, before the convening conference, that would be awesome. You know, I, I, That might be too ambitious, but we need to come together around a shared understanding of what it means to say you're a Methodist, what implications that has for homartiology, that's the the theology around sin, ecclesiology, how we exercise uh, affairs in the church in in light of that theology. Um, these, These are more foundational things, and once we figure that out, then we can figure out the the other culture war stuff. Right now, 
most of us in the GMC just knew things went way too far in the UMC, and we had to get out because there was no turning that ship around. The, the people in charge were just on that boat, and they weren't turning around. They weren't listening. There was no <laughs> negotiation to be done. But, but for those of us in the GMC, there is a conversation we have to have in earnest. And if we were hoping that we could just cut off the sick limb and then just not talk about it, that's not really realistic. We're ministering to a culture that's awash in this stuff. We're going to have a variety of different approaches to what's to be said and done about it. And if we don't pick up the conceptual framework and the words to really navigate these things together, then yeah, you better believe that there's more division coming down the pike. And I would like to think that none of us want that. So let's have the conversation in earnest about holiness and discipleship. And then out of that, let's proceed to these larger divisive issues and see if we can't model something different from the world, different from what we saw in the United Methodist Church. And, um, you know, heck, what if the world looks at us and says, look at how they love one another, you know? So let's uh, let's continue praying for the GMC. Just want to counsel anybody who's, who's hung out with me till the end of this, it's really important that we don't fly off the handle and get nuts about this stuff. Make sure that you understand what people are saying before you get upset, and um, make sure to give people the benefit of the doubt whenever you're at a place of disagreement so that we can establish where the common ground is first before drawing lines in the sand. We've had enough of that, I think. So, Anyway, if you appreciate my words here and the, the work that I'm doing on some of these other series, then make sure to subscribe if you haven't already, and then consider supporting me by going to plainspoken.locals.com. Appreciate any uh, prayers you offer me uh, to God for me, and um, I'll see you next time.